1: live from new york i'm richard quest in for julia chatterley all this week it is still first move and it is here's what you need to know the battle for hong kong seems to be underway. china is warning the us against getting involved in the united states it is memorial day Day when we remember those who have fallen in battle and millions of people are marking the event but managing to ignore social distancing and Hertz the car rental company is in chapter 11 protective bankruptcy it's uh, the latest in a large number of big names <clears throat> that have fallen by the wayside we'll be looking at what makes it and what doesn't this is first move Um, we, uh, we start a new week together. It is a Monday. It's a bank holiday here in the United States and in the United Kingdom. <coughs> Julia Chatley is off this week, so I shall do my best to pilot my way through. And I ask your forgiveness for indiscretions and infelicitations on the way. It is Memorial Day. The European markets, though, are open in Frankfurt, Paris, Madrid, Milan and so on. And the trading there is higher overall. Germany is showing the best gains of the day. Um, One and uh, two and a half percent, which is quite a lot more than the rest of them. Asia also was mostly higher. The Nikkei was up over one and a half percent. Japan is lifting its state of emergency on the last remaining prefectures in the country. And that would include uh, Tokyo. Hong Kong is flat, which is, uh, I mean, after Friday's five percent fall. And the events over the weekend, I suppose that's quite an achievement just to remain flat on the day. Oil, let me update you. It is higher. Strong crude gains last week, up for four straight weeks. Still down 40% for the year, but as you can see... When you think where we were just a few weeks ago, and now you see it back over $30 a barrel, which is pretty much steps up where we started from. Strong gains for US stocks on last week, the Dow best gains since April. And tomorrow will be a big day for the New York Stock Exchange. Some floor brokers will be allowed back onto the floor. Market makers not, but uh, but floor brokers, yes. Now, let's go to the drivers. China is threatening measures against the United States over Hong Kong. It is warning the U.S. not to interfere in China's interests in the region. There were protests on Sunday over the new proposed law by China against sedition, treason and the like, which are being seen by others as being a full frontal attack on on Hong Kong's uh, two systems, one country status. Ivan Watson is in Hong Kong. This latest quasi threat you might call it against hong against the united states
2: yeah i mean uh, there there <laughs> there's a confrontation and tension between beijing and washington and then there's the question of the future status of Hong Kong. And the Chinese government is bristling at any American criticism, including the possibility that if it is determined that Hong Kong's special autonomy would be threatened by Beijing, that, that a special trade agreement between the US and Hong Kong could be threatened, that is not the kind of language that, that the Chinese government likes by the same token, we are witnessing uh, an ongoing crackdown here in Hong Kong itself. The Hong Kong police arresting at least 180 people on Sunday who tried to engage in protests. The authorities here describing all of those people as rioters, as vandals, as people who attacked police officers and echoing the language of the uh, Chinese central government, which has said that It has claimed that more than six months of protests last year that got increasingly violent clashes between demonstrators and police pose a threat to China's national security as a whole, and as a result, it has to push through this national security law, which would criminalize sedition, treason, subversion, and has raised real questions about the future of freedoms that this former British colony has enjoyed for decades and is supposed to enjoy until the year 2047, according to
1: international treaties. Richard. Let's understand, because we'll be talking to one of those in Hong Kong in just a moment involved in this. The law on its face seems to be fairly straightforward. But as I understand it here, the issue is not so much the law on its face, but how it could or would be interpreted in an anti-democratic fashion.
2: That's the issue. The, the phrase here is one country, two systems. The system in mainland China, very close to where I'm standing, is one party, strict one party, communist rule. There is no tolerance whatsoever of dissent. You can't even post on social media in mainland China a picture of Winnie the Pooh, because that's perceived to be uh, an insult to the Chinese leader, Xi Jinping. Here in Hong Kong, it's the opposite. You have freedom of religion. You do have competing political parties. There is a narrative and criticism that the Chinese central government has been increasingly chipping away at freedoms that Hong Kong has enjoyed. China's top diplomat here, its commissioner in Hong Kong, made a case to assembled consuls general here and to business leaders And his message to them was, don't panic, this law won't affect you, it'll only affect a tiny group of, as he put it, terrorists and separatists and people who are the agents of foreign powers. But who will define who is a terrorist and who might simply be a critic Mm. of the authorities here? Especially at a time when large portions of Hong Kong's population, more than 7 million people, are so unhappy with their uh, handpick Beijing-appointed leadership. Lam, the chief executive here, only has 27% popular support, according to a recent poll that came out earlier this month. Uh, and that is one of the questions here. Could this new law mean that China's completely intolerant culture of a police state could start to take root here, uh, decades ahead of t- what was supposed to be a, a, a handover and a switchover of its special autonomy to direct mainland Chinese rule? Richard.
1: Ivan Watson is in Hong Kong. Let's stay with the issues of uh, China and the United States. All the U.S. airlines that fly between the U.S. and China have been seeking to restart some of their routes. United and American have both asked to, for permission to restart routes subject to government approval. Washington now says that that government approval is being withheld. Claire Sebastian's with me. Claire, the routes are extremely lucrative, but it's a highly restricted, set of bilateral uh, understandings on, on these routes. So is Beijing refusing to allow US carriers to start up again?
3: Well, right now, Richard, the situation is that the the Chinese civil aviation authorities have imposed a cap on all airlines that they cannot uh, basically schedule any more flights than they had in the middle of March. And as we know, at that time, the U.S. carriers Delta and United had suspended all all flights to China. So right now, they're restricted to zero flights to China. Now, both of those airlines, according to the U.S. Department of Transportation, have applied to the Chinese regulator to, to resume flights, but apparently they haven't heard back yet. Now, the situation is the reason why the U.S. Uh, is so sort of getting so heated about this is because in the meantime, Chinese carriers have continued to fly to the U.S., even though the U.S. banned inbound travel. They did not specifically restrict the airlines. So the, the Chinese airlines have continued to fly. Uh, and in retaliation, the U.S. Department of Transportation has now said that those uh, main four Chinese carriers have to now file their schedules with the US government, and that they will determine, quote, whether those flights may be contrary to applicable law or adversely affect the public interest. So they are trying to put pressure on China to, to lift these regulations and let these US carriers, who, as we know, are really struggling with this drop-off in, in travel, to resume some flights to China. They were hoping to do so, Richard, at the beginning of June.
1: OK, but if the, the is it highly likely that these air routes do become um, a bargaining chip or battle or weapon between China and the United States, especially if Donald Trump goes on the electoral warpath using China as a weapon.
3: I think, Richard, that the track record of this administration has shown that they don't want to be seen to be backing down to China. So right now, with the situation seen as as unequal, the administration is trying to, to sort of level the playing field by imposing uh, this order on Chinese airlines, making them them register their flights. They say they hope to to reach an equitable solution, but China meanwhile has denounced, they're saying that they 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 denounce any restrictions uh, imposed on their airlines. So we're sort of in a stalemate at the moment. The the Chinese regulator has said apparently uh, to the US authorities that they might lift the March cap on schedules. They might allow US airlines to fly one flight a week to China, which is currently the level that the Chinese carriers are flying to the US, according to, to the Chinese regulators. So that might ease tensions a little bit. But of course, you've been talking about it. This comes in a backdrop of much bigger tensions between the two countries. So I think this might continue to simmer.
1: Claire and Claire, thank you. The US is nearing a grim milestone, 100,000. If you look at the numbers, uh, the number of people who have died from coronavirus in the United States, notching up ever closer towards 100,000. And it happens as the country marks Memorial Day. Meanwhile, President Trump is spent part of the holiday weekend golfing and tweeting some of the tweets were extremely personal attacks on a television anchor, uh, alluding to uh, allegations, uh, I just not when I say this, of murder. Now, for most of American people, they're hitting the beaches and parks if they're nearby. Social distancing, as you can see from these pictures, seems to be a thing that's been forgotten. CNN's Joe Johns joins me now. Um, Joe, before we come to what the likely policy, let's just stick with the president. for for, a second. Um, My weekend reading, a lot of criticism that on Memorial Day, when the U.S. and others commemorate those who've fallen in battle, the president is tweeting about TV anchors and unproven allegations.
4: Right, Richard. It's always a solemn holiday, Memorial Day, here in the United States, but particularly sad because we are approaching that grim 100,000 death milestone due to the pandemic, while the president has spent the entire weekend out on the links or on his phone. President Trump spending much of the holiday weekend doing two things, golfing and tweeting. Sunday, protesters gathered outside his course in Virginia, criticizing him for golfing while Americans are still grappling with the pandemic. One sign declaring, I care, do you? This visit marked the 358th the president has made to one of his properties and the 266th trip he's made to one of his golf clubs since taking office. President Trump also reigniting his feud with former Attorney General Jeff Sessions, calling on him to drop out of the Alabama Republican Senate primary.
1: Jeff Sessions was a disaster as Attorney General. Should have never been Attorney General. He's not qualified. He's not mentally qualified to be Attorney General. He was the biggest problem.
4: The back and forth continuing throughout the weekend with the president again criticizing Sessions for recusing himself from the Russia investigation. But Sessions firing back, I did my duty and you're damn fortunate I did. Meantime, the president defending his decision to golf, tweeting it was the first time he had played in almost three months. The president further took the opportunity to attack former President Obama and former Vice President Biden for frequently vacationing and relaxing while in office. Even renewing his attack on Obama for, quote, always playing golf, a line of attack then-candidate Trump often made against his predecessor.
1: It was reported today, played 250 rounds of golf. Everything's executive order, because he doesn't have... Enough time because he's playing so much golf. I'm going to be working for you. I'm not going to have time to
4: go play golf. Trump even criticized Obama for golfing at the height of the Ebola response in 2014. That public health crisis saw four diagnosed cases in the United States. But as the U.S. death toll from coronavirus approaches 100,000, noticeably missing from the president's tweet storm, any mention of the Americans who have died. Instead, tweeting positively about the nation's response, writing, Cases, numbers and deaths are going down all over the country. The president heads out in just a little while for Arlington Cemetery right across the Potomac River from Washington, D.C., where he will lay a wreath at the tomb of the unknown soldier. Later today, the president will visit Fort McHenry in Baltimore for an event there. Local officials have criticized this trip because they say it does not set a good example when they're trying to convince people to stay home. Richard.
1: Uh, Joe Johns in Washington, thank you. The United States is to bar uh, people coming in, foreign nationals, from Brazil. The new policy bars entry to any foreign national who's been there over the last two weeks. It has the usual exemptions for U.S. citizens and for green card holders. The Brazilian foreign ministry told CNN it's collaborating with the U.S. in the fight against COVID. Brazil now has the second highest number of cases worldwide behind the U.S. CNN's Nick Peyton Walsh is in Brazil.
5: (laughs) Brazil pretty clearly now the second most impacted country in the world by coronavirus after fingers emerged late on Saturday night. That seems to be responded to by the United States, the most impacted uh, country in terms of confirmed cases, by banning entry into the US for those from Brazil or those who've been to Brazil in the last 14 days. It seems indefinitely a bid to try and prevent the infection here from getting into the United States and contributing to uh, its spread inside the US. But this piece of bad news, of course, for Brazilians comes uh, on a day in which their president, Jair Bolsonaro, has again been seen near crowds of supporters not wearing a mask. An unexpected rally in Brasilia at the seat of government in Brazil. He was reported to have flown over these crowds uh, in a helicopter, then landed wearing a mask, and is then later filmed, uh, flanked at one point by a cabinet member and two lawmakers supporting him, greeting supporters. These are very common displays by the president, uh, of his support uh, in the capital of government and is often used to suggest uh, that he is comfortable amongst other individuals, that masks aren't necessarily essential despite the growing catastrophe inside Brazil itself. Jair Bolsonaro's statement was always it was a little flu coronavirus or a cold Uh, he's later modified his language to talk about the fight against it being a war but that was more to justify the use of the drug hydroxychloroquine which uh, is in some studies been proven to actually be harmful to individuals and certainly yet to be proven to be beneficial in the fight against coronavirus but brazil still it seems a week to two weeks away from its peak and its political leadership giving very divided signals themselves the main figure jair bolsonaro not wearing a mask this day. Nick Payton Walsh, CNN, Manaus, Brazil. In that report you saw some of
1: the president's supporters, the Brazilian president's supporters, but demonstrators also showed up, as we'd like to show you. Mr Bolsonaro was heckled by people in the crowd later in the course of the afternoon. According to the local media, the president was going for a hot dog and soda when protesters started to bang pots and shout insults, which is the traditional way of demonstrating banging pots. Some could be heard calling the president a killer and trash. Other stories now to bring you from around the world. A top aide to the British Prime Minister Boris Johnson was to make a statement this afternoon explaining his behaviour and answering questions after calls for his resignation following reports that he travelled 250 miles during the lockdown. Uh, uh, A journey he made while suffering from coronavirus symptoms. Nick Robertson joins us now from London. He did it because he needed, he said, for him and his wife... Uh, child carer and someone to look after their child. Um, Best legal opinion suggests it was against the law despite what the Prime Minister um, said yesterday. So what are you expecting to hear from Dominic Cummins?
6: Yeah, the Prime Minister said he acted legally, responsibly, and um, <coughs> with integrity, that uh, his aide, Dominic Cummings, was in fact doing what essentially any parent, any father would do, and the Prime Minister said he wouldn't mark him down for that. So um, did he break the law or did he break, uh, if you will, the regulations that were in place? I think perhaps here what we can expect this afternoon um, is, is a defence of the position uh, that Dominic Cummings took. He spent many hours with the Prime Minister yesterday uh, before the Prime Minister gave him that robust defense in the press conference yesterday afternoon um, so It would seem that the Prime Minister was giving voice to Dominic Cummings yesterday in defense of him, and if the Prime Minister is laying open space within Downing Street for Dominic Cummings to speak again today, one might reasonably expect uh, that the the defense of his position will continue. I mean, what the critics are saying, and they're saying it very clearly and loudly, and these critics are within Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister's own party, they're in the opposition, they're in the scientific community, they're within the civil service, and they're saying what Dominic Cummings did undermined the very clear message that the government was giving at the time, which is don't leave your home, stay at home, don't go and seek help or or assistance in other parts of the country. If you've got a second home somewhere else in the country, don't use it, stay put. Um, So a lot of people sacrificed a lot and made very, very, very tough decisions. Um, And that's really sort of an emotional sense that you don't feel that the government has perhaps caught up with yet.
1: Nick, briefly, surely he'll only go if Tory MPs themselves demand he goes, if, if, if the Prime Minister feels the, the lack of support from his own MPs, which, is a, which he may not, get, I mean that may not happen, but that would be the catalyst to, to Cummings going.
6: You know, I think, uh, very briefly, I think the Prime Minister feels that he could put uh, his neck on the line for a very trusted and key advisor he's had a lot of success with, um, that he believed that there was something about what Dominic Cummings had told him uh, that would stand scrutiny. Uh, The police commissioner in County Durham, which is where he went in the north of the UK, has asked the chief of police in the UK to have an investigation into this so more facts can be put forward. But uh, my sense of it is, is that The Prime Minister um, and his key ministers around him feel that there is something defensible in what Dominic Cummings' position is. Now, in public scrutiny, that evidence isn't out there yet for people to make the judgment, and they're angry in the most part.
1: Nick Robertson, thank you. In just a moment, tear gas and violence on the streets of Hong Kong. We'll talk to a leading activist, a pro-democracy activist in just a second. And Hertz has filed for protective bankruptcy. Uh, Now, will this magnificent uh, car rental uh, venerable company come back from the brink in a moment? and rest has returned to the streets of Hong Kong after the security forces used tear gas to break up demonstrations. One of them now is Joshua Wong, the Secretary General of the Pro Democracy Party, Demosisto. Um, Joshua Wong, thank you for taking time to be with us. Look, the the core complaint about this new law is that it could be interpreted as anti-democratic. It could be used by the uh, by the Chinese government uh, against the colony.
7: In what way do you think that? Time is running out in Hong Kong, especially how the introduction of the national security law just strongly eroded the one country, two system framework to be one country, one system. With the anti-subversion regulation, which just kind of speech crime, And we just targeted not only protesters, but even journalists, NGOs, religious groups, and etc. But as I understand it, the law, uh,
1: the point I'm getting at is the law as written seems entirely reasonable. You can't have (coughs) sedition, treason, and those sort of things. What you're saying is it's not the way it's written, it's the way it will be enforced,
7: Yeah, and I think that's the point, because in the previous day, China just used the anti-subversion law to arrest Liu Xiaobo or other prominent political dissident in China. And when they bypassed the Hong Kong legislature and arrested uh, people with such national security law we might be jailed for 5 10 or even 20 years just because of criticizing the government the problem is not about anti subversion it's about how the regime how beijing define on what is meant by subversion and of course in some of the aspects of the global community at least is still re- estimate and recognize the importance of freedom of speech but in hong kong or under the hardline rule of beijing it would just right. be the <laughs> to silence the voice of Hong Kong. But haven't you got a big
1: problem here? And that is the rest of the world, like China, the rest of the world is only now recovering from coronavirus. The last thing many countries will really want, whatever they say publicly, is a full full throttle battle with China, which could lead to more economic harm. The United States could certainly be in that position. So isn't your biggest problem, whilst other countries might make noises in your support, they won't do anything active towards it?
7: Uh, I think how uh, you already point out the fact of how Beijing took advantage during the outbreak of COVID-19 and during the pandemic, <clears> of course, <throat> global and those such global health crisis. But all we realize is lots of uh, world leaders and also uh, MPs or congressmen around the world have shown their concern in the previous few days, especially uh, the joint statement uh, by the foreign minister from UK, Australia, and Canada. At the same time, how Secretary Pompeo also raised the concern and criticised the implementation of National Security Law, just eroded the high degree autonomy in Hong Kong. Right. So but, uh, after, the outbreak, but, yeah. but Mr. Wong, you, you Mr. Wong, you need more than strong
1: words, and and I, I one assumes <clears throat> that the protesters will be back on the streets. In Hong Kong, but where are you going to get real action from other governments?
7: Yeah, I think that's the point, and actions speak louder than words. In local community, of course, we will mobilize as many people as we can. More than 100,000 Hong Kongers might take back to the street again soon. But in the global community, we urge the U.S. government to implement and execute the Hong Kong Human Rights and Democracy Act signed by by President Trump in last November. At the same time, how to enhance the sanction mechanism in U.S. and several European countries will be really matter to let Beijing realize that we have international allies to stand with fellow Hong Kongers to safeguard freedom and free flow of information in such global city.
1: Good to talk to you, Mr. Wong. Thank you for joining us from Hong Kong. I appreciated it late in the evening there for you. Now, in just a moment, no opening bell on New York, of course, because it's Memorial Day, so there'll be no opening bell. But we will have plenty more for you, including a, including a close look at the future of retail in a moment. Julia's having a well-earned week off. I trust she enjoys it. In the meantime, they've left me at the helm of first move, so it'll be a rocky ride for both of us before the week's out, but we shall continue forcefully forward. Uh, Now, U.S. markets are closed today. It is the Memorial Day holiday. It's also a bank holiday in the United Kingdom. Um, Other markets, they're trading higher. Germany had a rollicking good session. Have a look at the numbers and you'll see. Look at that, up uh, uh, 2.5% for the German market. Bayer is rallying on reports that it's close to settling a large number of US cancer lawsuits. That's all about the Roundup Weed Killer. Lufthansa German Airlines and the uh, Lufthansa Group, that's up to apparently to agreed terms of a bailout package with the German government, said to be worth almost ten billion dollars. Air France got eight billion, Air France Keller. Meanwhile, the New York Stock Exchange this time tomorrow will be reopened. The trading floor again. The the floor's been closed for two months during Covid and the floor will look a bit different. Hand sanitizers everywhere, plastic partitions for safety and most important of all, it'll only be some of the floor brokers that will be about. the traders, the full market floor will not be open. Shares of e-commerce companies uh, Shopify have jumped more than 100% so far this year. That's doubling up. The company provides online tools to start and manage retail stores. Joining me now is the Chief Operating Officer Harley Finkelstein, who joins me now. And um, uh, now, look, sir, of this phenomenal growth, how much is because? I mean, I'm sorry to put it in in, in unfortunate terms, because COVID nineteen has um, amplified and forced so many other retailers to put it crudely get their act together online. Mm-hmm.
8: Thanks for uh, thanks for having me, Richard. I appreciate it. So as you uh, articulate, there is certainly this catalyzing that has happened because of COVID. It sort of feels like if you look at the entire retail industry, it feels like the year 2030 in terms of what retail would have looked like in that year has been pulled into 2020. And what I mean by that is it's taken about eight years or so for us to go from like 5% e-commerce as a percentage of total retail to about 15%. And it's taken like three months to go from 15% to over 24%. So certainly there is this catalyzing that is happening. But if you zoom out for just a second, you see something really remarkable, which is that it feels like there's a tale of two different retail worlds. On one hand, it feels like you have these resilient retailers, people that are pivoting, people that are trying to find new opportunities. They're moving from brick and mortar to brick and click. They're expanding their business. On the other side, you have these resistant retailers, those that are sort of maintaining the status quo. And you're seeing that with companies like J. Crew and Barneys and Forever 21, and they're simply not lasting very long. And so it's really is a world of two different retail industries effectively.
1: But isn't there also this great drive and wish by retailers, small and medium size, to be able online to avoid Amazon. Now, we saw last week, or we've all last, Walmart's excellent online numbers showing phenomenal growth. We've seen it with Target, not to the same extent. But if you look at the small to medium-sized retailer, they, if they want to play online, are stuck in the Amazon ecosystem. Is this where you come in?
8: Absolutely. So what we believe is we think for the future of retail to not only thrive, but, but continue to, to thrive. It has been over the last couple of years. Uh, it has to be in the hands of many uh, and, and not, not in the hands of the few. And so for a long time, small brands and small retailers had no choice but to go to a big marketplace like Amazon or any of the other ones and sell their products there. The problem with doing that is when you do so, you effectively are renting customers from those marketplaces. You don't build your own brand, you don't have a direct relationship with the end consumer. And so what Shopify has now done for more than a million brands and retailers, some really big ones, but also a lot of really small ones is we've given them the tools they need to build their own unique online store. And uh, and actually in aggregate, that means that they are the second largest retailer in America. Shopify is after, uh, after Amazon. So what's happening is we are providing these tools, we are arming the rebels so that the rebels the small brands can build their own unique independent businesses and honestly the rebels are winning right now consumers are beginning to vote right, with their wallets Holly- and preferring to do that
1: Holly, when shops reopen do you think we have seen a fundamental shift away from going shopping in the mall or going to the high street Or do you think, after a few weeks of nervousness, we'll be back to where we were? Yeah,
8: it's a great question. No, I I think what we've seen here is we've seen a complete uh, recalibration of retail. Now, will the growth rate that we've seen over the last three months continue going from fifteen percent of retail being online to twenty five percent? No, I mean that growth rate has been dramatic, and we will continue to see more of that growth, but that rate of growth has been uh, really dramatic. But I do think we've seen a complete reset of retail. Consumers want to buy direct from the consumer. Uh, consumers want to buy directly from the brands, from the from the stores themselves. Consumers want to buy be able to buy wherever they want. It's all about consumer choice. If they want to buy online, the the retailers have to sell online. If they want to buy offline, the same sort of thing. So will brick and mortar retail uh, open up? Yes. But this is a complete reset of retail, and it's very exciting in many ways.
1: Glad to have you with us. We'll talk more about it in the future. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it on this Monday morning Memorial Day. Thank you. Now, in a moment, microloans, the ability to get small amounts of money and gives a disproportionate importance to those companies who receive it. We'll discuss microloans in the COVID-19 environment in a moment. micro-lenders is serious. The micro-lender relies on debt collection. It's classic lending in the old-fashioned way. They lend, they get some of the money back, and they are able then to use that money to lend to new people. Now, the problem, of course, is recovering debts and debt collection isn't possible at the moment in many cases because of coronavirus. One of the largest uh, micro-lenders, Kiva, is also non-profit, which means there isn't much of a cash cushion left to fall back. back on when things get difficult. Now, Kiva offers 0% interest loans to small companies. It's created a global COVID-19 response fund with partners like Hitachi. And so far, it's helped 8,000 borrowers in more than 40 countries, including $2 million of support for U.S. entrepreneurs. Kiva says it hopes to help thousands of businesses survive 2020 and the COVID crisis. Neville Crawley is with me, the CEO of Kiva. He joins me from San Francisco. So you've lent the money what is the issue and the difficulty is it getting it getting the payments back in so that you can then facilitate further lending
9: well thank you richard good to join you there there are a couple of challenges right now one is obviously the collection of repayments we have a lot of the world in lockdown but you know over all time we've seen a 97 percent repayment rate with kiva and we're, we're confident that ultimately small entrepreneurs small business owners are very resilient One of the challenges right now is that actually the the microfinance field staff are not able to get out there and make loans. We estimate in over April and May there's been something like a 70-75% reduction in small business lending around the world.
1: Where are you targeting most? I presume, of course, those countries that didn't have a sophisticated government intervention for small businesses would be where need is
9: most. We we operate in 70 countries around the world. And and right now, rather than it being a specific geographic area, the the challenge, I think, the way that this economic crisis uh, is evolving, it's really hitting the working poor and the small business owners globally in every country. Say it's hitting here in the U.S., it's hitting in Kenya, it's hitting in the Philippines. It's the people who are really most vulnerable and most exposed. They're the ones who who are seeing access to finance being reduced or completely cut off.
1: So what can you do? I mean, you can lend. And I mean, the the, the the micro lender philosophy is a brilliant one, but it doesn't always work well in times of great strain and credit deficit for the very reason that you do rely to a certain extent for your own funding on better times?
9: Well, right now, I think microfinance is, or or the the work that we're doing on microfinance is is incredibly important at this moment because we're seeing government programs, we're seeing a whole lot of kind of Interventions here, but microfinance is very, very agile. In the US, we've been able to fund loans in between three to six days in many cases. So very, very quickly. And and also the crowdfunding version of microfinance that we do, the crowd has a forgiveness to it. So we can make loans that that no one else would make. And right now that agility and that ability to kind of get the money exactly where it's needed is so important So every day that goes by another, another business goes out of business forever. So that the speed is incredibly important right now. And that's one of the things that crowdfunding can do. So,
1: so bring this home to us so, so I fully understand the magnitude of the crisis. Uh, what do you expect the percentage of businesses will go out of business? Or maybe better still, what would you expect the percentage of defaults your non-performing loans to go to?
9: Well, I mean, globally, we see... a. Uh, a couple of billion people that, that don't even have an, don't even have a bank account. They don't even have basic access to finance. And so, and, and right now, it's all about getting the amount of money to a, getting some money to a farmer so they can buy the seeds for the crops next year. Getting a store some money so they can restock the shelves. So you've really got a couple of billion people out there globally who are very very exposed at this moment without access to finance. So if, if we don't take action, if we don't get this right. The, the economic impact is truly catastrophic and, and can set the world back decades of the gains that we've made or, or people have made for themselves, lifting themselves out of poverty.
1: That's a crucial point. Those people who have managed to make it into a middle class who are now finding themselves thrust back into abject poverty. Neville, I'm very grateful that you came and talked to us this morning, got up early. I appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Neville was talking there about microloans, which is a way of funding the very smallest. Uh, some very large corporations are now having to restructure themselves after the break. Hertz is the latest iconic corporate name to seek protection from creditors under Chapter 11. The chances of survival, well, that, we'll discuss that after the break. J. J. Crew and J.C. Penny have all fallen into protective bankruptcy. Now, Hertz, the car rental company, has done likewise, brought down by the pandemic. What a name, Hertz, with what a history uh, the car rental company has. Credit credit. car rental giant Hertz filed for bankruptcy protection. Anna Stewart is following the story, and with me now. I don't know why.
10: Right. Richard, really sad news, isn't it? Filing for chapter 11. This is actually after it already said it was going to let 12,000 jobs go in the United States. That was in March. But clearly it's under a lot of pressure. Two thirds of its revenues comes from cars, which it rents from airports in North America. So you can totally understand why that is such a problem. It's got a very complicated financial structure. Now, it does have enough cash, it says, to operate right now, but it needs to restructure its debt. So no surprise that it's the latest in a string of companies, as you mentioned, to file for bankruptcy. Looking ahead, can this business survive longer term? Well, not in its current state. Many expect it to have to sell many, many of its vehicles. Uh, They are losing their value every week through this crisis. So lots of assets will need to go as well as all those jobs, a big debt restructure. And then when will this business return to normal? Well, if we're talking about aviation not returning to normal before sort of 2023 to 2026, depending on who you speak to, uh, this is a business, of course, so linked to that. So doesn't look good for the future, but it's doing what it can right now, Richard.
1: All right. Thank you, Anna Stewart. Thank you. Now, more people are Uh, More people are turning to home delivery in this crisis as America is seeing the return of the milkman. Athena Jones reports from Connecticut.
11: These are uh, fresh pints of half and half. For Doug Wade, owner of Wade's Dairy
12: in Bridgeport, Connecticut, Marsh was a scary time, with schools shutting down and stay-at-home restrictions forcing many other clients to close their doors.
11: And we lost 50% of our business literally overnight.
12: So he switched gears, supplying grocery stores facing shortages. And as schools ramped up programs to feed needy students stuck at home, his company regained some of the lost business.
11: Then- The phones started ringing for people looking for home delivery service. Do you do this? No, we don't. We did it in the past. But after you get enough of these calls, you start saying, geez, I wonder if this could be a viable- way to sell milk again.
12: The delivery service he launched has been a hit with customers like Christine Ostrowski in nearby Fairfield.
3: It's really been a big, big boon for us because we were struggling with grocery deliveries. It's just really eased a lot of the
12: anxiety and stress. Wade's now delivers to 260 customers in some 30 towns across the state and recently bought another truck.
11: A hand grenade bottle. That was a (laughs) half-claim bottle.
12: Being a milkman is in Wade's blood.
11: I was seven or eight years old The clink, clink noise of glass milk bottles banging up against the metal dividers in the wooden cases, this is something I'll never forget.
12: His great-grandfather began making deliveries in a horse and buggy in 1893.
11: People would time their meals around when the milkman was coming.
12: After a century, Wade's halted deliveries in 1992 as clients' habits changed. COVID-19 is shaking things up all over again and not just for weights. While national numbers are scarce, producers and distributors across the country are reporting a surge in demand for home delivery. Doorstep delivery in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, serves more than 300 families a week. Another 300 or so are on a waiting list, and they're hiring more staff to try to keep up with demand.
2: We probably tripled our uh, home delivery customers in about a three or four week time uh, until we kind of maxed out our capacity.
12: Chateau Home Delivery, outside Kansas City, Missouri, also has a waiting list. They've seen demand rise some 230% since late March to more than 4,000 customers and have doubled their staff.
11: We've purchased four new delivery trucks and created countless new routes, probably about 14 new routes um, throughout
9: the Metro over that period of time.
12: Each company provides no contact delivery to promote social distancing. Would you like to have home delivery for tomorrow? And it isn't just milk. Like the others we spoke to, Wade's sells a variety of dairy and non-dairy products, including yogurt, cheese, eggs, fresh bread, orange juice, and meats. Uh, The
0: bacon will not be available until end of May.
12: The companies are hopeful that strong demand will continue even after the pandemic. Suddenly in this business, everything old is new again. Athena Jones, CNN, Bridgeport, Connecticut.
1: Now, just before we leave you, let me show you the markets and how they have traded. The European markets. There's no US markets today, of course. It is Memorial Day. Uh, it's a bank holiday in the United States and in the United Kingdom. However, the European markets are open and doing business, and you see the rest of the day is in Hong, uh, is in Frankfurt again. There of some two and uh, three quarters or two and a half uh, percent. We'll be watching to see how the U.S. market does fare when it reopens tomorrow. But before I leave you, Hertz is in bankruptcy. And, you know, these grand names, well, just enjoy the way Hertz used to advertise itself. Well, no, even I don't remember these days, but this is what it used to be like. What a way to go. Let Hertz take you.
4: This vacation really lets yourself go. Go Hertz
1: class. With a new Chevrolet or other fine car, you'll see things you've never seen before. Do things you've never done before. Hertz lets you change the pace completely. Go where you want, when you want. If you wish, take up to 20 months to pay with the new Hertz revolving credit plan. Oh, so hold yourself now that's how adverts rest. used to be done.